Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Andrew Leto, arguably one of the most successful founders in freight tech and one of the early innovators. Welcome to Chattanooga. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so a little bit about your background is you were one of the founders of Global Trans. Yeah. You also went out and founded a, a divestor called 10.4 that was yeah. then sold to Trimble. What, yes. I mean, this is a track record. You, you, you've had two successful exits. What's that like? Well, I, I started uh, Global Trans in 2003. So I was 22 years old when I started it. Right out of my bedroom, right out of, I did five years in Navy, got out, uh, worked from, my dad was a freight broker. He was in the business like your father. So kind of lucky in that, that same sense, but my dad was a small mom and pop shop. Stayed at home and he was a freight broker, mm -hmm. working from the house. So when I got out of the Navy, I started uh, working for him for a little bit. And that's when I decided that uh, well, I told my dad at the time, I said, Dad, let's start, uh, let's take what you do, and there's this thing called the internet, let's take that and put it on the internet. And he said, why don't you go out there, put a suit and tie on, and go sell knock on doors. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So what I had to do was uh, go out, and uh, I left working for my dad and started mm -hmm. Global Trans. Started out of my bedroom on an unemployment check from the Navy, and I started with zero money, like that was all I had, a thousand bucks. And what I did was I took what, what he did, I, I went out to a few trucking companies in the area at the time that were desperate for business. And I said, listen, I need to uh, get, a, get a contract with you so I can go out and, uh, and, and move some freight. And so I got a, some credit, I finally got one carrier to bite uh, that was nationwide. And cause just because they just moved to Phoenix, they needed some mm -hmm. business. And I said, uh, I need a nationwide rate and uh, at that time, eBay was, I remember I, I got one call when I was working for my dad from an eBay customer trying to sell um, an ATV online. And, was, and, and back then in 2003, if you're selling freight on eBay, you would have, you, you know, where are you gonna go after 100, you know, after 150 pounds, you, you know, you call UPS FedEx for that. Yep. After 150 pounds, you'd have to call a freight company. And who, if you're selling something on eBay in 2003, what's a freight company? Yeah. So, I thought to myself, wait, I got this credit with one trucking company. And, and this, by the way, when people say you have to have money to start a company, or, you know, it's, it's not true. Let me show you. I, I have a story how to build, you know, Global Trans now is a $2 billion company. Mm -hmm. And all started with no money. And this is, how, this is how I did it. So I had credit with a trucking company. And I went on eBay. And then, so the eBay, back then, when you sold, so I, I, there was this thing called in-mail. So I just in-mailed. Like you email them. Yep. I message anybody selling anything over 150 pounds on eBay. So if it was a, you know, a pallet of overstock goods, I would email, I'd email a guy and say, hey, give me a call when you're ready to ship that. Remember, on the back pocket, I have one trucking company that gave me credit. And that, you know, that was the hard part. Yep. Uh, so after about two weeks of doing this, I, I, spent a, I sent 1,000 emails to people during this time. Two weeks later, people started calling me saying, hey, I'm ready to ship this. You said you have some good freight rates. <laughs> and uh, they sent me an email back and I said, uh, I'll ship this, you know, I, I always, just like my father did, he taught me, you take the freight, you put 30% mm -hmm. on it. Yep. My dad was a freight forwarder as well, so they used to have high margins. You know, 30% was, is not you know, right. the name of the game anymore, but back then, 30, you put 30% on top of it. And uh, I emailed them back a quote, 30% on top of my cost. And I said, and I then explained to them, hey, listen, to save money, take this 
to the terminal because people were willing to do that. They're like, okay, if I could, and then, so that, you know, go to an LTL carrier, take the freight, mm -hmm. and then you, you don't have to lift, lift gate and uh, residential delivery right. cost. So I was the cheapest no matter what. Got it. I would beat anybody. No, were you using like Ford Air's network or? I was using Ford LTL? Air. Okay. I was using this. I was actually using your father's company at the time. Express Global. Yeah, because remember they used to have a Ford. I, Ford. So that's how I got my start. Was uh, I had a college? I was selling air freight at the DFW airport. Right. And I was, I was the air freight. I was at the at the DFW airport. I was the truckload guy for the Forders because I could get trucks when no one else could. Yeah. But the the arbitrage between there was a huge price discrepancy between what the Forders would pay and what US Express was selling to everybody else. Right. I mean, you were able to make $300, $400. In those days, nobody knew that brokers or intermediaries could make those kind of margins because right. they had been backhaul people. You'll, it was, you'll be surprised. I used Ford, I used Ford Air and Express Global. Is it yeah. Express Global back then? Yeah, Express Global, yeah. Which, which was US Express. I didn't know that back then. My dad used to say, yeah, it's the carpet carrier. <laughs> and then the rest of the rest, they put air freight. Yeah, so in fact, uh, John Bose, who's here somewhere in the room, uh, actually was president, uh, there he is, of Express Global. Oh, thank so the you. Carpet, the carpet business. So he knows all about the carpet I, business. I owe that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I no, so think about this. If, since I'm explaining to these people on eBay how to do this, yeah. it's, I could beat anybody. Yeah. And uh, so then I was like, uh, so after two weeks, I have zero, remember, I have zero money. I got, a, I got, one, I got one couple carriers, and actually that was one of the carriers that gave me the, the deal. Mm -hmm. um, I said, uh, so I started shipping with them, and then I, I started getting emails back from everybody that I started, you know, five, you know, 200 a day, people calling back, okay, I'm ready to ship this, ready to ship this. So I hired a bunch of my friends. I said, hey, I got all this business coming in. The best part about this is how I did it without any money. They were, there was a thing called PayPal back then. And then remember, they got paid by PayPal. Yeah. They were willing to prepay me for the shipment because they just got paid for PayPal, they got Pay, paid for the shipment, PayPal and they paid me yeah. through PayPal. Got it. It was great. So after two months of my, so Global Trans, I started with zero money, and in two months I had four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand in my bank account, and uh, you know I had thirty, you know I still seventy percent of that to the, to, your, to the trucking companies, yeah, to Ford Air, to some of the LTL carriers, to Express Global, but they were probably giving you terms of. 15, 30, 30 days. 45 days, yeah. But you know, carriers don't call you until about 45 no, days. No, they, they bill it. It takes them 15 to bill. And then if bill. you pay them at 60, they don't like you, but they're okay with yeah. it. So yeah. I kind of used a little bit of that. And uh, so fast forward a couple years, I knew at this point, so then I, I hired 10 of my friends. They're doing the same thing. They're emailing people on eBay. Uh, you know, same stuff. I'm just not, I really only had to do two months of actual work then in my career, and then now <laughs> then I started managing people. Yeah. So I got lucky in that sense. Uh, and then I had 10 of my friends working for me, then 20, uh, doing the same thing. But I knew at that time that I needed to build, there was a company called FreightQuote at the time, mm -hmm. uh, FreightQuote.com. And a lot of the shippers, that, that we'd lose a lot of business to them because they had an API, which was unheard of back in 2004, 2005. Not, I, don't even, I don't even know if it was an API, but they had a connection with uh, right. eBay where they, you know, an eBay shipper could get a FreightQuote. Mm -hmm. So I was competing against that. And I went to FreightQuote's website and I saw how they were, um, you know, they really pioneered the whole Travelocity or Orbits or Priceline for trucking, where you, it's, you know, you type in Phoenix, Chicago, or Chicago and anywhere in the country, and you know, two zip codes, and you get ten carriers quoting on it. But it's mm -hmm. all, it's all rated. It's yep. all rates, rate, rates. It's automatic. So pretty much what my people were doing, you know, manually, they were doing automatic. So I knew I had to build a system for this. So fast forward two years, I finally, I build a system. I build a, somewhat like a freight, not as good as FreightQuote.com, but it was like FreightQuote.com. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in, in business, now it, was, it was me, FreightQuote, and maybe 
It was just, I think that was about it back then. Maybe Unishippers were the only three companies that had a system you go to with and type in two zips and then get a, a freight rate. For, for LTL. For LTL, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but at that time, I, there was no, it's not like today where you could just raise money like that. Um, you had to hustle to get yes. it. Yes. And figure out how to use credit from the vendors and the cash flow. Right, I had to play that game. I had carriers, so I, I would always gauge how good my business is doing is when uh, my carrier sales rep, the guy who ran my carrier sales at the time, Mike Bookout, would come to my office and said, uh, Andrew, the carrier's about to shut us off. <laughs> so uh, I always, no, okay, I, I, so paid I knew, them paid and, them and yeah. then kept growing the business. So, you know, good thing I had 60 day terms, but, um, you know, once I, I knew I couldn't live like that forever, and mm-hmm. I could never get the same rates as a freight quote because they were paying. You know, they they did raise money. Yeah. And uh, so fast. And they had forward, a lot of volume too. And a lot of volume, yeah. So I, I bootstrapped the company to 100 million dollars in sales. It took me seven years to do that, from 2003 to 2010. And I also knew that I had to. I, I didn't have the money to ra- to raise to build a sales force. Like Freightquote had hundreds of people on the phone. I had nothing. I, I had this great product. I had all the rates, but I had no sales force. And in this industry, you need a distribution model. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you never seen. Have you ever seen a freight commercial besides maybe Old Dominion and you know the guys who make a lot of money? No. Yeah. There's no such thing as freight commercials. Right. You go out. You have to have a distribution network of salespeople. Mm-hmm. It's the only way to do it. And I thought to myself at that time, how am I going to do this? Like I have no. I have this great product. And then I started remembering, I, I remember all these sales reps from carriers would come in and say, wow, I wish I had that product. I could go sell that to my customers. So uh, I thought to myself at that time, what about, what about giving this product to, and making a, to franchises, making franchise? But then I thought to myself, franchise, that, 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 then I saw this franchise booklet was this big and it was, it was crazy how, you know, doing franchising. So I thought to mm-hmm. myself, you know, in the truckload business, there's agents. Yep. And I was like, why not build agent network around LTL? And it was out of necessity. I needed a sales force, and I didn't have any money to, to build that sales force. So I started bringing in sales reps from all around the industry, whether they worked at LTL carriers, where they worked at uh, freight forwarders, other big truckload brokers. And I said, hey, listen, if you sell this to your shippers, uh, you know, bring this to your shippers, I'll give you half the, you know, half the profits, pretty much. I got the system. I'll do the back office. And that's how the global transagent model was built. And uh, so it was all out of necessity. I, I, I if I had, if it was this day and age, like this time, I, you, I probably wouldn't have had to build a, an agent-based sales force because you just right now raise capital. They raise capital. There's yeah. money out there. This is the best time in the history of mankind to be an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. um, there's more money being raised. There's actually more money looking for comp that for, for. There's not enough companies to to supply the right. money being raised. So I think, uh, and then 2010, I took my first investment from an investor, which was. Thank God I did because it was about that time the carriers were ready. Like just, to, we're done with you guys. We can't deal with you. Uh, you guys are all your competitors are paying us in 40 days, 45 at the max. You're at 60. <laughs> so I had to raise. I took 10 million dollar investment, but thank God I bootstrapped it because I only had to give and give up majority of the company. I gave a portion, a small portion of the company. Yeah. I retained most of the equity, and then um, and they came in, which was great. Uh, they put $10 million in at a $40 million valuation, and uh, that went to really, ha- you know, I remember the investor called me the next day and said, you know, why did half the money just walk out the door the first day? Like, because they put $10 million in half. I was like, listen, I was, we're good with our carriers now. Like, we're, yeah. we're within terms. We're, right. we're, they're, they're, they like us again. Yeah. Now we can get some better rates. Yeah. 
so fast forward a couple more years, I raised another four. I think Global Trans raised another 80 million when I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, I left when it was around a 600, 700 million dollar run rate. And I left because uh, uh, I, started, I wanted to start this company called 10.4. And 10.4 is essentially what I wanted to merge to be today. 10.4 is a visibility product. Uh, one of the first, it was us and four kites in the beginning. Yep. That was it. So when I built 10.4, I did it out of Global Trans. Uh, me and this guy, Travis Ryan, started it. He was my CTO at the time. Mm -hmm. And we, we thought to ourselves, you know, we wanted to build a marketplace for truckload. And we thought to ourselves, there's got to be a better way for shippers to connect with trucks than just, you know, the way they're doing it now. You know, you got your typical shipper has, you know, 20, 30 carriers in their stable. They got 20, 30 brokers, and then they got a TMS. But what's that technology that's really helping them uh, get those rates and, 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 and transact with those guys and, and be more efficient with those, with how they tender those freight to everybody? So I wanted to build a marketplace. But at the time, I went, I went to a big shipper. And that big shipper looked at 10.4 and they said, you know what, we don't like your marketplace, but we like the fact that we see all, all that, what's that map with all the trucks? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, that's just part of the marketplace. When you book a truck, you can see your, whatever trucking company it is, whether it's your broker or carrier, see them on a map. They're like, that's what we need. I'm like, really? Okay, I guess that's what we're selling. So mm -hmm. we pivoted 10.4 to a visibility product. And, uh, and my passion was never in visibility. I never really cared. Like it was a, to me, visibility was a part of what I was trying to build with this marketplace. So we went out, and what, what, what 104 essentially was, was we went to a big shipper, we said, who do you use? They said, oh, US Express, J.B. Hunt, Schneider, C.H. Robinson, Echo, you know, the big, yep. and they all have different trucking companies or, or different carriers. They have all of these different ELDs, but we would like them all in one portal, mm -hmm. one place, and, and that's what, what, what 104 essentially was. And then Trimble bought it, Trimble acquired 10-4. Yes, so Trimble buys them, and uh, so again, my passion was not in tracking. Yeah. So when they made me an offer, we're still in the growth phase mm -hmm. uh, of that company. Uh, it's, it was still a startup, still yep. needed entrepreneurship. Um, they made me an offer for that piece of the product, and to me, it was like, I'll take the marketplace of 10-4. Yep. You guys keep the, the, and then, so I took the marketplace So you can out. take that capital and, yeah. and, and energy and, and time. And to and, what I wanted to do, which yeah. was marketplace. Yeah. And that leads me to Emerge. And that's what, that's what I'm doing with Emerge now is, is building a marketplace, which a marketplace is uh, a, a way that shippers could connect, procure, more importantly. So most shippers procure in spreadsheets and email. It's not with, with software. Mm -hmm. And go out, get their rates, and also uh, routing. Because in my opinion, route guides are messed up in, yep. this, in the United States. Um, Wait, when you say they're messed up, what does that mean? All right. And this happens at every shipper. So if you go to a, so when, when, so how trucking rates work at most shippers, they create route guides. So mm -hmm. they go out for their annual bid, then they create these route guides. And these route guides uh, have carry one, two, three, four. So the primary carrier usually gets all the loads. Yep. If the primary carrier, so in a bad market, remember two years ago, mm -hmm. what would happen? Their carrier one rejects and there's a waterfall. Yep. So typically what happens in a waterfall environment is it goes carrier one, rejects, goes to carrier two, then goes to carrier three, mm -hmm. rejects, carrier four. And usually it's mostly asset-based that are one, or two, one and two, sometimes brokers, but it's mostly, sometimes yep. assets. So in a good market, the asset carriers are what? They're taking everything because mm -hmm. if, if you send me 10- In a market where and, 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 is available. And, I'm sorry, in, in, in a, a soft market. Soft market. In a, a soft, soft market, market they're taking everything. In a market where they have optionality- They just reject. They reject. 
Yeah. Which is kind of, it's like taking the good with the bad. Yeah, you know, it's like, sure. uh, it's, it's, so I thought there should be a better routing guide system where you still have your primary care. I still believe in that. Mm -hmm. You still have your contract rate, but you have commitments and if those commitments are met, then it goes and checks spot. It checks your, your other carriers, your other brokers, brings <coughs> in your digital brokers, right? Mm -hmm. So we, you know, at Merge, we have partners with digital brokers. They, it brings those in. Uh, and they're bidding dynamically on the available freight? Yes. Got it. So they, they would come in, and, and, it's, and it's API, so it's all mm -hmm. automatic. So, you know, the digital brokers are trying to change it to where they're trying to build these automated rates. Um, luckily, they have a lot of investor money to help them <laughs> predict, because it's not predictable, right? Uh, but eventually, you know, they're, they're going about it the right way. And my goal with, with, with Emerge is to create a, a where you go out and you do your bid, mm -hmm. you get all your rates back, and then you, and you, we have a tendering, uh, a better routing system. But it, it sits on top of the TMS. We're not trying to replace the TMS. Yep. Because as you know, in this industry, I'm sure if you even go to US Express, your father's company, or even uh, any big trucking company, they're still on AS400 oh, they, green they screens. No I, one I switches. I this to a, a friend of mine who um, was developing a piece of software, uh, and he wanted to go around the TMS system. I was like, you right. don't get it. I was like, the carriers have invested so much energy in the TMS. They want the opposite. They want everything integrating, integrated into the TMS, not outside of it. And the reason right. is that they, it's hard for them to get access to all the data. And so you have to build something that, that doesn't uh, inter, uh, mediate the TMS, but actually has integration into it, or you're not right. gonna go anywhere. It's the same thing with banks. I mean, banks have these massive legacy systems and they don't want sort of a, a system completely separate from it. They want it to communicate, integrate with it. Which and they almost the never difficulty. switch off of it. They can't, because the, the switching costs yeah. are so profound. Oh yeah. And, and they're so ROI. expensive, and they're stuck. Uh, oftentimes, TMSs, if they built them in-house, they're stuck with old technology that they've just a lot of enterprise uh, organic, or if they've acquired the software, these systems oftentimes are built 20 years ago. Yeah, on, and then on the code. ROI of switching, think about it, if you're at a big company. It's too, it's, you're, 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 if you're, you're going to make your a bet yeah. for someone's going to get an ROI five to seven years later. It, you're, it's, yeah. the, way, the way to survive at big companies is to ensure that you keep your job right. by not making these big, bold decisions, and there's very little return on investment. Right, there. and then you look at, I mean, if you ever go to these you know, big shippers or big companies, you know, you see about 20, 30 people, and they look like they've been there for 20 years working on that system. Yeah. They ain't switching. No, for sure. They got all sure. the hotkeys down and everything. So, 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 so if I, I mean, is it fair to describe you guys as the kayak emerges the kayak afraid or the saber systems afraid. How yes, do you, that's what I really analogy? I think. Kayak is the best way I can describe us because again we uh, we we have all the digital brokers. We we connect everybody. Anytime your carrier gets digital, we connect that and we bring that. So we and we're trying to create a, 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 a efficiency. We're trying to if it, if if, it, if people say what are you? What are you trying to do for our company? I'm, we're trying to save money because. If you deploy our product, I can look at any shipper and say, you'll save five to 10% on your truckload spend. Mm -hmm. Because you're, we, it's, not, it's not that we're changing the carriers you're using, we're changing how you tender to the carriers you're using. Yep. But also, we're bringing in a marketplace concept. So if, anytime we bring shippers in, it brings in more carriers and more brokers uh, that, that creates this bigger ecosystem. And they can trade, and they can see trucks. There's always a truck, I always say this, if you show me, tr show me a truck picking up a load somewhere, I could show you five trucks that would have been better for that. Maybe they'd have had a dead lead less uh, dead le head less. Uh, they'd been closer. Maybe maybe it's a, a back haul for that carrier versus a head haul for that carrier. Yeah. There's always that, and, sure. and it's an inefficient. It's it's a data problem. And it says every industry you go to, it's a data problem. Right. And it's and and again, and again with and, and another thing we bring to the market is uh, dedicated and uh, 
private fleet capacity. Mm -hmm. So if you trade in our market, you put your your backhaul dedicated. So when we get one shipper in our market, they bring their debt, they put their empty deadheads, and you know it's thirty percent empty most of the time. Thirty thirty five percent empty. When you see a, a private fleet dedicated truck, it's thirty five percent empty. Where do you find them? The problem is when shippers do their bid, they're using. Uh, you know, spreadsheets, everything's so siloed. There's For no sure. And, and the market is changing very dynamically as it becomes more transparent. And so those decisions where they're locking in uh, rates for a year are likely to change over the course of a year. And, right. And carriers, at some point, someone, because of the pendulum and the freight, someone has the bargaining power. Oftentimes it's shippers. Occasionally it can be carriers. And... Uh, it's very hard to know those dynamics or predict them well in advance. And so you right. guys are helping to solve that. Who, yeah. do you, who do you end up replacing in this ecosystem? You have load boards, you have digital brokers, you have hmm. uh, 3PLs. Who is most likely, if you're successful scaling this into a massively important company, who is it that gets displaced? You know, it's not we're displacing. It, it's we're making a better efficiency. Like, a, like I said, it's... It's it's the data it's the data problem. It's there's always a trucking company, and it might be the same trucking company. Uh, so if, if if it's JB Hunt, for instance, and they're they're part of one shipper, but they're not part of other shippers, and that's what we're trying to bring is the fact that hey, and you know JB Hunt probably has half the shippers, right? Or that's probably a bad Actually, example. Actually, JB Hunt would argue that they have very few relative to the market. Um, Shelly Simpson told me herself that people think they have a massive set of customers? They don't. They have a lot of really big The bigger shippers, ones. But the they ones. actually, not the from a long tail. Small, small they, mid-size, they're not even, yeah, you never hear about. making the statement that one of the other super large uh, 3PLs, if you go in their offices, everyone has business with, C.H. Robinson is in almost every office around the country. But J.B. Hunt has a lot of very large concentrated shippers. The asset right. guys, you know, coming from an asset side business is they don't have, they don't advertise, they don't, think about brand building. I'm not talking about J.B. Hunt yeah. specifically. I'm talking about the broader uh, enterprise carriers. They're not, as you've pointed out, they're not trying to build brands to bring shippers into it because effectively they're on a list for an RFP and, and it comes down to a price. Right. I think it's changing though. The 3PLs are putting a lot of pressure on those carriers because shippers realize there's a lot of value in using someone with a lot of optionality. So the market's certainly changing. Right, and I, like I said, I, I think what we're really trying to help is the data, that it's always a, it's a data problem. It's, the, the data's not out there. If, we, if, I went to, if I went to 10 trucking companies right now, and there's 2,000 trucking companies in the United States with 100 trucks or more, 2,000. If I went to, if I, and, and if you call a shipper up and you say, hey, how many ship carriers do you have? And they usually say, the average, even for the bigger guys, is 30, yeah. 30, 40. That means there's 1,700 other trucking companies. You don't think if we got all those trucking companies in a room and said, hey guys, let's, here's my freight, here's mm -hmm. your trucks, let's look at some things that might work, Yeah, you're gonna find efficiency. Yeah, for sure. And for it's sure. crazy how this market works right now, and I think that that's what kept me in it. I sold, when I sold Global Trans, I could have went off to the sunset, right. but I'm too young and I, I, I don't play you love golf. It. You've got diesel in your blood. And I have nothing else, but, but after building my company, I had no other hobbies, so right. I'm still doing it. <laughs> but. Uh, I wanted to do this because I think this, I saw it's crazy, this, and I was, when I started LTL, everything was automated. That's why I, I'm doing this truckload thing. So when mm -hmm. I, was, I started LTL, and LTL, you have your rates, the capacity's there, there's only, there's 80, about 80 carriers, and you're all, it's, it's efficient. It's more, mm -hmm. way more efficient than the truckload industry, way more. 
And uh, I want to bring that tech. I want to bring technology like what we did, at, you know, with what you see with check, with LTL to truckload. That's what yeah. we're doing. So what, what does this end up for you guys uh, over time, over the next five, 10 years, scale into this massive platform where you're effectively the uh, exchange, the clearing system of the marketplace? Is there, is, are there financial products? Can, can carriers get paid through your marketplace? Or is it all uh, right now just about data integration and visibility? No, uh, so it's, our model is we, we do allow carriers to come in and pick off freight, and then obviously we do the payment to them. Uh, we're not acting as a typical broker. It's mm -hmm. it's all matching the sh the carrier right directly to the the, the, the shipper, and then uh, so we do a little bit of that. Um, and then there's uh, we don't charge SaaS. We 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 want to We think it's a it's a it's a volume game. So we have to get as many people on it as possible. So shippers, you know, when they we sell, it's not it's a free product. They're like, yep. well, that's why is it free? Well, you know, it's free because one day we want that dedicated truck that you're that that you have a bat that that. 30% of your dedicated fleet, which a lot of big shippers have this, that empty, there's freight for it. It's just, mm -hmm. once I get the density, I could fill that up. Uh, and we could probably, we can't solve all 30%, but I'm sure we could solve five to 10% of that, 25% of that. And uh, so that's our play. Our play is uh, connecting carriers to the shippers, um, connecting brokers to digital brokers to shippers, and, and really, and that's how we, we're, we're getting paid is, is uh, is is the connections? We're not a SaaS. We're not we're not planning to be a SaaS based company. So Andrew, what, you've been around this business. You've seen a lot of cycles. This has been a, a you know the last two years have been this really hot cycle for freight tech. There seems to be a little bit of a, a cold wind moving through uh, Silicon Valley around some of the investments in these uh, negative unit economic businesses. What are you seeing right now? What do you think this all ends up? Um, yeah, I think there's so much money chasing so little companies, and that's why these valuations are going crazy on a lot of companies. Uh, but I believe that there's nothing that's, you know, like the digital freight brokers, that's a great investment for Silicon Valley. Um, Do you think, I mean, the, the, we've talked about it, and there's been other reports that some of them are buying market share, or essentially subsidizing their customer routing guides to get in first position with the anticipation that they can hold on to that freight. Do you think that... Uh, survives. You know what? I, I so as a broker, so Global Transit is one of the top ten brokers in the country. Trucking brokers too. Truckload. Here's my opinion. You cannot buy freight and think that five. You know, you're going to buy this right now, and again, you come at five percent cheaper than market. Ten percent, of course. I can go to a ship right now. Give me a hundred million bucks. I'll go to a ship right now, and I can buy you half a billion dollars of freight. Mm -hmm. You just go bid lower. Give give five percent lower. Remember, they're the you know. Uh, they're not going to give you all. They're going to be surprised the first year and be like, "Wow, you came in 25% cheaper on, on my on my bid." We can give you 10% of this this year. Then we'll give you 20%. If you notice, a few of the few of them are backing off a little bit on this, and you can see it's killing their. They haven't grown that much. Uh, one of the big ones just recently reported that they it was hard for them to grow because. But here's the thing: in four years, when you have to put 10%, and that's the, I think the goal of the digital brokers is eventually to make 10%. You know, bring and it, it makes sense. I think that. Trucking brokerage is going to go from a, about a, it used to be a 15 to 20 percent margin, you know, for the for the big guys. It's going to go down to 10 mm -hmm. over the time over time, but it's going to eventually be 10. It's not going to be zero. You got to yeah. make something. It's going to be 10 percent. Right. And you know, going they're starting at five right now, below market, you know, at and break even now, and then maybe trying to bump it up to five. That's that's their goal. That's what they're they're selling the investors. The question is, in five years, when they have to put 10 points on top of that. What makes it, do they have better data on these, it's the brokers all calling the same carriers. Yeah. 
how do they have, how could they go in and bid? Because, and you've got to rebid your freight every year, by the way. Mm -hmm. very, a lot of your freight you have to rebid. Not all of it, but a, a good majority of it. Um, one of the big brokers will tell you, we've got to re rebid 70%, 65%, 70 of our bid freight every single year. Yeah. So the day that they can't go 5% below, now they're going to go 10% above cost. Are they going to be able to buy that freight? And it's not really buying it anymore. Now do they have the data? Do they know more carriers around that lane than the other competitors? That's the question. I think there's some truth to that, but I think it's still going to be difficult being, you're still competing against the big, you know, those big guys aren't, they're not disrupting the big Big guys. I mean, it's, it's hurting them. I think the big guys are flat because of this. Mm -hmm. But it's not. They're, it's not. It's not disrupting the biggest truckload brokers. But I think they're going to be companies. They're going to be brokers. But I think they'll become big brokers, and the digital the big brokers will eventually become digitalized, and they'll meet. It'll be you know. It's going to be very hard to identify a traditional versus a digital because the emergence of technology is sort of at the middle. Well, remember, I mean. A digital freight broker versus a big old school broker, there's so much digital to what they're already doing. I mean, remember, what is a digital freight broker? They're trying to automate the, there's, think about what a broker does. There's four things, I think. You negotiate, you, negotiate, you find the truck, first, that's the first thing. So I, I gotta know the truck before you do, where it is. Second thing is negotiating the rate. Third is track and trace, and fourth is billing. That's it. So if you could do those four things and automate them, you're a digital broker. So. The digital brokers right now are trying to do all four, but you know the uh, the other brokers. So if they could just remember, the, the biggest brokers are ne doing the negotiations and finding the trucks manually. So they got to they digitalize to that. that. Yes. Now, C. H. Robinson will say that seventy percent of its freight is electronically routed and no humans involved. I guarantee it is, and here's why. So you you got to say, and that's that's the that's the thing. It's a it's a fallacy to think that the, the biggest brokers are probably more digitalized than the digital brokers because that's it. When you buy freight from a shipper, you really know your carriers. Like you buy a lane from a shipper, you have 10 to 15 carriers. That, it's like the 80-20 rule. 80% yeah. of freight, you know those 10 carriers are going to haul it. That's an easy thing to digitalize. You just okay. Well, we know you're going to we we got a thousand dollars in this lane. We're going to give you 800. We'll tender it to you, right? And well, that's an automation, right? We'll email you the tender from our system. You accept it, download our app. Now you're tracking it, and we'll bill. That's a digitalized freight. That's a digital freight. So it's funny when you hear about digital freighters versus it's it's it's. Uh, I, but what's cool about the digital brokers is they're doing some really cool things on the on the negotiation part. I think that's where the the big eliminating brokers, the the bid and the ask, trying to bring right. them together so that. The negotiation goes away. Yeah. Do you buy the fact, because we've, we've heard this from some of the large asset-based carriers, that they're seeing significant pricing pressure in the market from the digital effect? It's not just the digital brokers, but the 3PLs overall, because there's been the contract spot spread is starting to narrow as the market sort of corrects. Do you buy the fact that... Uh, that the digital brokers themselves are keeping rates artificially low right now? Well, that's, I mean, that's why, if you look, the biggest broker, just their, their earnings got killed. Mm -hmm. There's layoffs at the, the, one of the biggest backed, uh, biggest at Silicon Valley companies just had a layoff 70. At, they made a bet on one of the digital brokers. They just laid off 70 there. And uh, it's hurting. Uh, there's layoffs at some of the, I saw another one today. Coyotes Coyote. laid off 
Siege uh, Robinson had some layoffs. Echo has trimmed a little bit of their right. uh, sales force. And it's and it has, trucking flexport. You know what, it's investor money. Mm-hmm. So the investor money is flooding in, right? There's so much investor money trying to get into our industry. They find a digital broker, they back it. What does that digital broker do? Goes on a on a bid and bids against CH. This is what it, this is all that's happening. They yeah. bid against CH Robinson. CH Robinson is making their 15. They're doing good. They got the same carriers. Digital broker calls those same carriers, gives them takes says, hey, I'll do this do this for five percent less or even the same. Bids at their and bids 10 percent, 15 percent lower than. Uh, CH, you're done. You're out. You're yeah, pushed. Sure. Now, will CH getting that back is the question, and that's. I, I, well, you uh, mentioned yes. something. I mean, you, you've mentioned it. We've covered the waterfall freight, and it's interesting because everyone talks about spot market conditions and load to truck ratios, but it's all yeah. the it's all about the waterfall. It's the larger asset based carriers that really set the tone in the market. They get first right of refusal because they're typically higher in the routing guide. Shippers place a, pre- a preference on asset-owned uh, entities. Right, yeah, yeah, right. And then the freight ends up in the spot market. What you're talking about is different in the sense that that waterfall is really what's driving the selection criteria. And oftentimes, the digital brokers are bidding on freight. The thing that always surprises me is that, to your point, it's being rebid every year, but there's nothing that is going to ensure that their position stays organic. If they change their rate and increase it, they're going to lose all that volume that they had, they had guaranteed. Exactly, and that's why it's, are you really, and I think there's, a, you are buying, when you go to a new shipper in your company, in our industry, you have to buy your way in. I mean, if you win, let's say one lane, let's say they got a $100 million freight spend and you win $500,000 of their lanes, they're not, even, they're not even test you out. They're not going to even try. Yeah, for sure. So you got to go in and say, I'm going to bid, I'm going to buy 10 5% of your freight. But does the shipper stay with you? So if you, if you correct your rate to a more market rate, after you've won it, say you've done business with a large shipper for two years, and then you go and correct that rate to a more market rate, do you maintain that business? Uh, as long as you're beating the uh, the next guy, right? I mean, but if you, but, but you it's gotta, all about rates, right? right? You gotta, exactly, and then that's why you got to put your temp. That's why it's going to be. But at that point, you're in the stable of carriers. Mm-hmm. You're a trusted carrier, so I think you have that benefit. Benefit you've bought that. If anything, you've bought that. And uh, now you just have to compete and be make sure that you've automated enough to beat the big broker or the big or, or the asset you know the carriers, and uh, so it's you know I'm, I'm sure the car- asset based carriers are getting hurt too by the big digital brokers. I guarantee. Oh, they, they'll say that There's, on the large we've we've worked and done some studies on what volume the digital folks. Yeah. It's major lanes. It's the big liquid high density lanes with major shippers. It's not the long tail. Right. You know, the old pitch by a lot of the digital folks was, we're going to automate all of this inefficiency because the people are, are in the cab of the trucks, a lot of it's manual, but actually the freight that they're automating is the freight that's effectively already automated. It's the stuff mm-hmm. that's already electronically tendered, right. driven by price and, and the waterfall selection of freight. And so when you look at it, they're, what they're doing is they're optimizing the cost model of servicing that freight not necessarily optimizing the servicing model. Now, at some point, they potentially could go after the long tail once they've reached sufficient scale and start to service these. But those are really expensive customers to service. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it's going to be telling to see if, 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 if you actually could buy freight. If anything, I, I don't think that the digital brokers are going anywhere. If anything, they bought themselves as a big broker at yeah. some point. 
And, but uh, the valuations... I but mean, they're not you, disrupting any big brokers, I'll tell you that right but, now. But at some point, their valuation has to be market-driven. I mean, if, you're, if your business is a billion gross... You better and be your making net is you better your cost of moving 30. that truck. Remember, the cost of moving a truck for CH and all the big brokers right now are nine percent. So let's say five year, ten years from now, you're a digital bro broker and you're at the ten percent, you better have your cost at five percent. Yeah. But at some point, yeah, otherwise you're not worth anything. There has to be a convergence in, in valuations between the digital natives and the traditional 3PLs, because at some point, those investors are going to want to exit, and <laughs> yeah. valuation is going to matter. And how they're viewed versus the traditional companies is going to be, it's going to be pretty interesting to watch. Right. And it's going to be, see, I mean, again, the, the, winner, the winners in this market are the ones in 10 years or five years, I would say, five years, that have got their, that brokerage, it's cost again. The CHs, the Coyotes, all the big guys, Global Trans, everybody, cost them about eight to nine, ten points. You know, the most efficient are eight, unefficient ten. But think about CH is at ten percent, makes seven per six five. You know, five, they, they were making five, six, seven percent EBITDA, mm -hmm. seventeen percent margins on their truckload, roughly. And uh, you got to bring that. You know, CH to survive. That new CEO, he better bring his cost down to five. Yeah, Bob Bob Beasterfield is under a lot of pressure. His, and, uh... and he's got time. They got a lot of they got oh, time. they're massive. They got time. And they have they do have time. They they have a lot of margins. They have time, uh, whereas some of the mid market brokerages that are getting squeezed from all sides of it are, right. are uh, don't necessarily enjoy those same elements. Right. So. But I think I think it, with technology and the way that carriers are getting are adopting and now ELDs are coming into play, I think the I think that the uh, visibility players like P forty four, four kites, or these got these kind of guys are going to be big data providers for for, for brokers one day. Uh, I think the, even the load boards are getting better. A truck stop just came out with a book it now feature, and you know DAT is going to follow suit. Uh, you got trucker tools, all these different systems out there. I think it's going to lower that cost of negotiating, finding, and, and bidding the truck to four, five, six percent over time. Yeah. And I think the Coyotes and CHs are going to survive. I yeah, think they sure. just have to really concentrate on getting the cost of moving that truck. If it's costing us 10% right now to run this brokerage, we need to get that cost down to five, and we got five or six years to do it. Yeah, the reason we don't see brokerages file bankruptcy the way we see asset-based carriers is there's no assets to right. file. They yeah, have, have to, typically don't have debt, maybe some working capital debt that they on their AR lines, but but effectively they're debt-free, and they don't have to correct and shut down equipment. Uh, and well, think about it, like the Coyote had to lay off some people, you yeah. know, the little downturn. You, you, you can't hand trucks back when that's the problem with being a trucking company. No, and you I, have to file. I, I wouldn't know. To file bankruptcy. I have a lot of respect for trucking company owners because that, uh, it's a brutal business. Yes. You, that, and you have really thick skin. The, the challenge for them is that they spend all of their energy trying to hire and retain drivers and keep the equipment moving. And what's happening is data, technology, and marketing have become really important in the space. They're, they don't have the energy to invest or time or resources to invest in the things that are starting to become more important. And, but but in, def in defense of brokers, since I am one, I would say that, you know, I love when I hear carriers, you know, a lot of them are operating at, you know, especially in the LTL business at 80s. Yeah. You know, we don't, in brokers, we're really talk about operation because we, don't, we never <laughs> can operate yeah. under a 95. Or, right. You know, the biggest, the best ever was C.H. Robinson at that huge scale at 6 or 7%. Mm -hmm. They're up, you know, 93 and operating at 93. Uh, we'll never get even even at, even at uh, the digital broker. Your best you're ever gonna do is four or five. Yeah. You know, ninety five. Yeah. So, but I mean, like you know, if you're a good, well-run truckload carrier, you can run an eight, an eighty or seventy five or. But you got to be the best, and you got to, 
you know, I'm not a trucking company, but I've noticed the short haul guys. That's where the, if the short. Well, they the, run real. I mean, Knight's the easier one. Yeah, Knight Network yeah. runs a really tight network. The thing is that Knight doesn't take freight. They go into the lanes. They say, "This we're going to run within 200 miles of this DC or our terminal, and we're not going anywhere else." Right. And so. Uh, their model is just very engineered, and what you've seen is the long haul carriers, the U.S. presses, the cabinets, have tried to attack that, and they're just not. Their systems and their operating processes have not been historically engineered to focus on really short haul. It's right. just it's a very difficult cultural thing for them, right. um, and that's why they've struggled. They've struggled, frankly, since intermodal markets have taken out that long haul market. Yeah. So it's a different market. It's, this is an interesting conversation. We can certainly dive into it more. Uh, a lot of conversations taking place at Freightways Live. If you haven't gotten your tickets, be sure to get them today. It is the Freight Tech event of the spring. Be sure to get there. Uh, it's held in Atlanta in early May. Go to Freightways.com to check out the event. A lot of great speakers. Look, can, Are you I, can, I plug, can I plug for you? Yes. So any entrepreneurs out there, anybody in our industry, I think Freightways, I think you guys are doing, it's so refreshing to finally have a voice in our industry. Like something, wow, it's so, like we didn't have, it was asleep. I mean, we're 10% of the GDP is trucking, transportation, logistics. And before, I mean, I never had a, there was nowhere you could actually go out and get your word out. And now I finally have a place to get my company name out. As a matter of fact, I met my, uh, my, one of my, my last investor came to my company at the Freightways conference doing, doing our, our, our uh, that, that great, the five minute pitches that you, you yeah. allow us to do. Seven, but yes. Yeah, seven minutes, yeah. <laughs> no, but, no PowerPoint. So. But uh, I urge anybody, I, I really do believe in what you guys are doing. And I think that it's, ob- it's brought us value. I want you guys to keep growing. It, like I said, the hardest part of our industry is distribution. Like every company has it. If you talk to anybody, any owner, it, the hardest part is how do you get, like for instance, I think I have the greatest product out there. The problem is I need 500 salespeople to go get it out there, mm-hmm. right? Um, I hope more shippers start joining this, but I think what you're doing is right. You, the, you're getting the buzz of our industry. You know, there's enough people in our industry to come to, that are starting to look at it. You have a lot of shippers watching this now finally, but you know, be, it's gonna be much better if there's, you know, as you guys grow, the better everybody else is. And I think that anybody that's uh, in a startup environment or any company should be at your conference. You had a great conference in Chicago. I went to that one. Um, I just gotta say, it. Go, to the, go to the conference. It's really great. It's really helped emerge up. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that. We, we are very excited about what's happened in this industry. I mean, this is a labor of love as much as it is a, uh, a business. Um, a lot of passion about what's happening. This industry has never gone through the level of transformation it's going through right now. Um, and we love telling the stories about entrepreneurs and giving them the chance to present their products to investors. You guys did raise uh, $20 million from New Road Capital. Yeah, we just raised some money. Uh, so this year we did $30 million, or last year we did $30 million in, in sales. Uh, top line, we're a marketplace, and next year we'll do 100 So we're really fast growing. We're just kind of like in that... You know, it's, kind of, it's funny. I just raised twenty million dollars, and that's not even cool anymore. Like, you have to raise fifty to hundred. <laughs> you're feels not. Like, you're, yeah. It's not even cool. Like, I try to get like Forbes to f- f- do it, and like, they're like, "Call us when you when it right. means something." And uh, but I think we're not that level. I think we'll raise more money sooner. But but later. you know the thing about raising money that is always sort of is forgotten or misunderstood. Um, you know, we we talk to investors and, and raise capital and. 
everybody assumes when you raised it that the founder is getting all this money and it's in a bank. I'm like, I don't see any of that. No. It goes into putting on these cameras and production and hiring staff and. It, and, it, but you got to pay that back. And just I so mean, everybody the knows, the investors get money before you get paid. You're just, the last guy in. Just so everybody knows, the founders really. When, whenever you see the businesses sold and they're done, that's the only time we ever exactly really make money. Yeah, we're really. I mean, no, I was, we, cash, we, I was we, cash forward till like three years, four years ago. <laughs> I mean, I, and I had thousand people working for me at yeah. that point, and I was and people were like, oh, he's like, I was like, I don't have that much. I mean, the, the reason why I have a thousand people working for me is because I didn't take money. Right, and, and you're typically not the highest paid person in your company. Uh, there are no. other people that are. No, you, if you are, are, then you got the wrong uh, people working for you. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. So, uh, lots to talk about, lots to dive into. Uh, check out our social media. Be sure to like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, also, if you haven't downloaded the Freightways TV app, this conversation and more are live on Apple TV as well as any Roku. And be sure to tune into our live stream. We do talk talks like this with folks like Andrew, great founders doing interesting stuff. Folks that are changing the way freight is moved and designed. Uh, so be sure to tune in and uh, appreciate you coming. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.